nervous and I ate a bunch for supper, so I didn't want to vomit just on the stage and splatter everywhere, so I may need that. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> nervous, you know. Butterflies, pork ribs in my belly. My friend has become my enemy. Ooh. Okay, so let's see. How am I starting this off? Yeah, got it. Okay. I want for us to look at this map right here. Can you see it? All right, I want you to take a good look at that map, and I'm going to tell you a story. This is a story that God has, has kind of built in me over the years. It, it's an analogy. It's an analogy about who we are, about who you are. It's about the church. It's about the calling. It's about this great commission that we've been given that Mitch spoke about earlier. So let's take a few minutes and... I want you to just kind of go with me on this. Um, could somebody bring me that chair right there? Thank you. All right. Thank you. This is not for a sermon illustration either. This is to make sure that my knees don't buckle and I don't fall down. All right, but we're going to get through this, okay? All right. Is Tanner in here? Okay, good. I'll make sure I don't look over there. Because, all right. Because I'm going to get through this. But I will get emotional, okay? So, I mean, I may cry, spit, vomit, all the bodily fluids out here on the stage. But we will get to the end of this, okay? I'll, I promise. All right, we may need some some towels or maybe some drop cloths for the first few rows. Okay, because this could get nasty. <clears throat> all right, here we go. So this is my analogy. This is this is how God teaches me. All right, weird things like this. All right, so take a look back at that map right up here. All right, and let's go. Okay, I looked and I saw I saw the earth, and it was nothing but black water. There was no land or boats. I couldn't make out any buildings or roads or streets. It was nothing but water, darkness, blackness, water. And I looked and I saw movement. And as my eyes began to focus, I, know, I saw that it was people. Hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people. All trying to tread water. Pushing each other down with all their strength trying to keep their head above water. And as my eyes focused on one by one, you could see that moment by moment that heads were going under and they were not returning. And then from out of this blackness, from out of this water, came a rock, and the rock rose. And those who were near it, they clung to it, and they were lifted from the blackness. They were lifted out of the water. Those who were nearby, they swam. 
and they grabbed onto the sides, and with everything that they had, they, they climbed. They climbed up to safety, to a platform. And I thought about, what about the others? Are they not family and friends? Did these people who are now upon the rock, have they forgotten about the people who were there in the water? Were there no relations? Were there no friendships? Had these now upon the rock forgotten from where they came? And then my ears began to hear, and I heard some shout, Come, swim to the rock, swim, swim to the rock. And those who were within earshot of those who were speaking and screaming and crying out, Come, swim, swim, they began to move, and they began to come closer to the rock. And they shouted their salvation at the rock. And a few more came. And then my eyes focused on a few groups And to this day, I still do not know or understand fully what I saw. But some had begun to plant flowers in the crevices of the rocks. And others had begun to form circles and tell each other stories and talk about politics and debate issues of theology. They told each other funny stories and entertaining stories. I looked at other and others were impressing each other with their talents and the ability, even complimented each other on their clothes and how nice they looked as the clothes began to dry upon the rock. And had they forgotten where they had come from only moments ago? And those who shouted continued to shout, and then there were others, there were others, some, they began to pry up the platform with their bare hands. And with the clothes that they had, they lashed the boards together to make ladders to bring more people. And as far as their arms could extend, and anything that they could get their hands on, they reached out to bring others in, crying, there is, rock, there is salvation at the rock. And a few more came. But still, if you look beyond the rock, heads would go under and they would not return. Millions and billions, as far as the eye could see, the waves were simply head and shoulders rising and falling, and some would appear no more. And some shouted and some reached, and few came to the rock. Within there were others, and to this day I still do not understand. I looked and I saw them. One, two, three, a small group. They moved to the, black, to the back of the platform. They began to, to take off their shirts. They began to remove their shoes and anything that would hold them down. And they ran. And these were the ones that they ran. And I saw them. They got to the, to the end of the rock as far as the platform would go, and they came to the cliff at a full sprint, and they jumped. And these were the ones who had not forgotten. And they jumped into the water. And with all of their might, they began to grab some, and they swam them 
back to safety. And I watched as one after one after one, they would climb the rock and they would jump off the platform again, time and time again, back into the water. They had not forgotten how to swim. And many were saved from drowning. God, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be here. To sit here together in a place where we're able to visit and to enjoy, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to be encouraged by others. God, we love you and we thank you for the freedoms that you've given us. I pray that they will not become our curses but they will be opportunities to press on harder, to press harder for you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we'll start back in 2 Corinthians. And uh, 4, verse 6. All right, so yesterday we talked about Roberto. What's going to get Roberto looking more like Jesus? What is it going to take for him to look back in the mirror and to behold the glory of God that's manifest in him, that's shown in his life? So um, we talked about this process of being more transformed into the image of Christ, by Christ, and for his purposes. And remember that this is a process that we're moving from glory to glory. It's not something that you do after a weekend at Snowbird. It's not something that you do after you read a great book or go to a conference or come back from a mission trip. This is your life's journey. This is where you are moving more in line with what it is that God would have for you to do. You're watching Jesus, and you're becoming more like him. Now, until you can see Jesus clearly and know what it is that he wants for you to do, I want you to do something. And this may, this may get you where you're at. You may be so confused and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to watch Jesus, to understand what it is that he's doing, how he's moving, and to, and to follow him in that? Well, uh, a couple months ago, we were working in a village. And one of the guys, they're going there. They're teaching stories about Jesus. They're talking about how to live, how to relate to one another. And the elders, they begin to talk, and they said, these men keep saying we're supposed to be following Jesus, but we can't see Jesus. And one of the men said, aha, but they said that they're following Jesus. So until we can see Jesus, we'll follow them. That's the call that God has put upon our life. That's this ministry of mercy that we have been given to make ourselves signposts 
and examples to push people towards Christ. As Paul says, do what I do because I'm trying to follow Jesus. And so for all of you here, we talked about discipleship and the importance of knowing who God is through growing in Christ, through the understanding of Scripture, through obedience to what it is that Jesus would have for you to do, and through godly discipleship. So I want for you to find godly men and women, and I want you to put yourself with them. And for some of you here, if you're with your youth pastor, I guarantee you, if he begins to see the interest that you have in following Jesus, that he's going to provide a way for, for you to have that example that you need. And if you're in a church that believes the word of God, then you're going to be able to find those examples in your life. And you'll be transformed glory by glory. So, verse 4, I'm I'm sorry, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So we can move on. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. Let's stop there just for a moment. And I want you to focus on this verse. Therefore, having the ministry by the mercy of God. This is what we've been given. We've been given the ministry. We've been given what we like to call the Great Commission. To be witnesses of Jesus. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And so Paul says to us, do not lose heart. That's kind of a quirky phrase. And what does that mean? So Paul, so he's writing this letter, all right? But the language that he thought in was Hebrew. And Hebrew's got this really cool expression. And it talks about don't lose heart. Now, what does that mean? All right? This word heart, it simply means what's inside of you. What's at your core. And Paul's saying, don't lose what's inside. Don't lose heart. Don't get to a point as you're following Jesus, as you are doing this ministry that you've been given to be a witness to the nations for the sake of Christ in the power that God has given you. Don't get to a point to where you say, you know what, this is really just too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to follow Jesus closely. I'd rather have the things of this world. And I've begun to burden myself with so many things with so much stuff that I'm trying to carry as I'm following Jesus that I'd rather just slow down a little bit and let Jesus go on. When you may find yourself just sitting down and Jesus is nowhere to be seen because he's moving. Don't do that. Don't lose that. It's hard to follow Jesus when you're carrying a lot of stuff with you. So, Keep what's inside of you, inside. Keep the Jesus Christ that has been put inside of you, this light which is salvation, keep it centered at your core so that you will be able to give that to other people. And do not lose it. This may sound like a simple thing, but Paul repeats this phrase throughout the letters as he writes. Don't lose it. Don't lose heart. Now, why? Because so many people do. So many people Even people that I came up with in ministry who were discipled right beside me, 
they have lost heart. They have given up or they have given it away. And some because of just stinking laziness. Some because the enemy stole it from them. Some because they just gave up. They gave into the temptation to sin, into addiction. And as they stumbled and fell, the ministry that was within them, it spilled out. This is something in our own lives that we will have to guard. This is something that we have to protect. Because this is something that we have to maintain in order to give it away. So, we will move. All right. Verse 6. All right. So we're going to keep moving. If you're taking notes, if you're writing it down, I want you to keep in your mind that what we are trying to look at this weekend is who God is, the world we live in, and what is your response to this. I'm not giving you the answers to this, okay? There's no, like, uh, fill in the blank. This is something that I want for you to discover where you're at. There may be many different answers. But I want for you, no matter where you're at in life, this is something I want for you to be writing down and trying to figure out who God is. To have a better understanding of the world we live in. And then you have to ask yourself, what is your response to that? Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown light in our own hearts of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus Christ. So the, the God, the God of the cosmos... The God of Genesis chapter 1, who said, let there be light, and there was light. That same God, in that same creative process, said to you, Roberto, he said, let there be light. And light was spoken into his life. Light was spoken into your life. And the ignorance, and the sin, and the bondage that you had within you, it fell away. And no longer are you bound into Satan. And no longer are you bound into sin. No longer are you bound to the world. But you have been given freedom. You have been given everything in this light that is within you. In this light that, that God gave to you. That he created within you. Now I want you to identify that. And I want for you to own that. I want for you to to read Genesis chapter 1 when God says, let there be light, and to say, that happened in me, and then to move past that and to see it happen in others. So verse 7, now remember when I read this in 2006, as I was studying through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I remember coming to this verse and thinking about, this is, this is great, this is awesome, God has, has opened up a light within my life, he has given me something that's awesome, he's created something in me, he must love me so much, and then I read, we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. 
And I can remember thinking, man, that's kind of a downer, right? Like, that's it. That's all I am. I'm just this, you know, I'm just this, this, this jar of clay. I'm just this, this earthen vessel. That's all I am. That's all we are. From the time that we were created, this body that we live in, this body that, that, that carries around, this body that we're given as an instrument of ministry to others, yeah, it's, it's, it's made of earth and stuff. It, it's, it's like a clay pot. But this is the cool thing. In verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. And we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always caring about. Always caring in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our own mortal bodies. That is supernatural. That is miraculous. Anytime that that happens, that is One of the greatest things that you will ever see happen in your own life. And I can remember time after time reading the scriptures, working with people who are hard-headed, who are stubborn, who are violent, and thinking, you know what these people need? They need Jesus. They need the life of Jesus. That's what they need. And then in, in 2 Corinthians, it tells me, you, you know what? Like The life of Jesus can be manifest in this jar of clay, this light that has been given to you, it can come out into other people. It's not going to be easy. It was never intended to be easy. And part of the pain is what makes us strong. And the difficulty is what helps us to press on. And please, I want to apologize. If the brand of Christianity that you came up in told you, come to know Jesus and then everything's going to be done for you. Just join our church, and life's going to be easy. And we're going to help you with your marriage, and you're going to get mommy day, days out. And there's going to be free child care, and there's going to be youth group, and you're going to have friends. You're going to have buddies. You know, like, I, I, I promise you, I would plant churches like that if I could find that in the New Testament. But I, I can't. And there's some great things that happen in in churches that do some of those things, but you cannot stop there. And that cannot be how you define the assembly of God by programs and activities. All right? That's, that, that's not the ministry that, that, that we were given from Christ. Because we can see the ministry that Christ set for us. We can see that example. So we have to make sure that what we are doing is for the sake of getting the gospel into areas where it is not known. What is the purpose of a light? If it shines and no one sees it. What is the purpose of your light? If it shines so small that nobody notices it. And ask yourself this question. What is the purpose of a light? These lights seem really bright, right? They're bright to me. They're <laughs> shining my eyes. Uh, turn on all the lights. Can you do that? They don't seem so bright anymore, do they? Why? There's a lot of lights in this room. There's plenty of lights. Okay? 
So if you counted all these lights, I, you know, I don't know, maybe there would be 100 lights in this room. Man, if one of these lights goes out, it doesn't really make that big of a difference, right? I mean, there's a light right there. It's not there, not working, okay? Probably nobody noticed that when you walked in. You probably didn't say, gosh, it, it was a little bit brighter this morning before that, that light went out. I'm going to have to talk to him about that. I mean, hmm. But is it possible to turn down all the lights except for one? Can you turn one light on? Can you do one? No, no just one, one light, it, like, alone. Is that... Okay, wait, hang on. Somebody got a phone? Somebody got a light thing to turn on? Are we going... Yeah. You got a light? <laughs> My man right here. Look at that. No! I can't see any. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Goodness. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. All right. All right, we're going to rein this back in. Let's see. Where are we? All right. All the lights. All the lights. Down. Okay? All right. Now, this is the cool thing. So, we had all the lights on. Okay? All this light. And keep in mind the light that exists within all of us who are believers and followers of Christ. Now, I'm going to turn on one light in a dark room. Wow. This is what it's like to reach an unreached people group. This is what it's like to go into the darkness and to shine your light. This is incarnational ministry. This means you become like Jesus and then you take Jesus to them. So, when I was given a choice, did I want to be a light in a room full of lights? Or did I want to take my light and go into the darkness? I chose to go to the darkness. Because I thought that that's where my light would be best used. And all of us have been given a light. All of us have been given by the mercy of God, this ministry and this light that has been created within us, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, let me turn the lights back on. But we're afflicted. And in every way, but we're, but, uh, but we're not crushed and we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Following Jesus Christ is going to be a painful process. If it's not a painful process, you may not be following Jesus. You may think you are. Some people do that. This, in, in, uh, in Sudan, hand language, this means follow. Okay? So this is, you may not be following Jesus. You may be following something else. You may be following somebody, a person, when you need to be getting closer to Jesus. You may um, you may have not been following him for very long. Okay? You may be so young in your faith. And for some of you, that's okay. That's exactly where you are, and that's where you need to be. But that's where you need to grow out of. Okay? But year after year, decade after decade, you don't want to stay where you're at. Okay? The Christian life, if Jesus is moving, and he's ministering, and he's reaching, the Spirit of God is, is, is moving out into areas where it is not known, known, 
Don't stay behind. And keep pace with what the Spirit of God is doing within your own life. And this is going to take spiritual growth within you. This is going to take your own devotion to God and releasing the things of this world. And please, what I'm saying here is not for those who are called to go cross-culturally. This is for everyone. Make sure that what you're investing in, that what your life is investing in, is getting you closer to Jesus. And that can be sports. And that can be the hobbies, the education that you pursue, but it may not. And I want you to be asking these questions to people who are discipling you. And I want you to be asking these questions in the time once you're praying and meditating, asking these questions of Scripture and getting your answers. And to know, is this getting my light out there? We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our own mortal bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So that, that sounds like a difficult task, and following Jesus is hard. Now, why? Because the stuff that Jesus does is hard. It's a difficult life that he lived. And I can remember when I was young, so many people would say, I want to be like Jesus. Uh, you know, I want, to, I want to raise my kids to be like Jesus. Or I just want to, you know, I want, to, I, want, I want to be like Jesus. And I thought, why are they saying this? Like, I just got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm studying the scripture. You want to be like Jesus? That guy's life was brutal. It was difficult. He lived in, in pain, in joy. He lived in suffering. He lived in some of the most difficult times in which we can imagine. He lived in a world that was violent. He lived under a tremendous amount of cultural oppression. And as he followed his path, he was killed when he was about 33 years old. And his mother watched it. And he endured a crucifixion which is the most gruesome kind of death that, I, death that I can imagine. I thought, why are people saying this? Well, what do they mean when they say, I want to be like Jesus? And then I realized, it, they just mean, they, they just want to be nice. They just want to be good people. They want to have friends. They want to be well thought of. Jesus was not well thought of. Most of Jesus' friends left him. Okay? And it's hard to start a church when you're talking about drink my blood and eat my flesh. And not everybody's going to want to follow when the path is difficult. Not everybody's going to want to be like Jesus once they begin to follow the path that Jesus follows. And the reason why I'm saying this is a dear friend of mine, after spending two years in South America preparing to go to the Middle East, he came to me after enduring genuine suffering, after his team leader had been kidnapped, after he had endured so many hardships, simply trying to get the gospel into unreached people groups. And he came to me, he says, you know what? He said, I wish when I came to Jesus, somebody would have told me, count the cost and know what it means that you're doing. He said, because when I was in the youth group, And I went to those youth group rallies. Nobody told me that. 
Nobody said that this was going to absolutely kick my teeth in and may cost me my life. They begged me to walk the aisle. Nobody told me this was going to happen. Except the scriptures. And so for all of you right now, if you are 12 years old, if you are 14, 15, if you're middle age, I want you to count the cost and understand that this is what you signed up for. Okay, so I may be telling this to you late in the game, but afflictions, persecutions, oppressions, beating, risking your life for the gospel, this is part of it, okay? This is what we have been doing for thousands of years. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to surprise you, but maybe you weren't told this. Maybe you were not told that following Jesus Christ, trying to get the light out there, That it could take your life and you will not survive it. You will not survive this life. And for each one of us, this life is going to come to an end. And we have to make a choice. What did we do with that light that was created within us? What did we do? Did we give it to other people? And I want you to write this down. Well, wait. I'll do it. (laughs) Get your pen ready. Um... So in our last two months in South Sudan, we just finished a very, very difficult uh, five-month training that we were uh, working through, and we had a lot, of, a lot of difficulties, a lot of spiritual oppression. We had um, people in the community that were trying to get us kicked out, kicked out of the country, kicked out of the community, just trying to stop the ministry, trying to stop the light from spreading. And uh, I can remember thinking how difficult this is. This is a hard task, man. This is a hard, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. What risk you know, are, are, are we taking? This is, a, this is tough. I remember thinking, if it's so hard, why do, we, like, why do we love to call it free salvation? And I'm telling you all, I grew up like that. The whole Bible illustration, let me see, the, let me see your book. You know, ooh. you know like those dog fences that you have? They got like that little collar and it shocks you as soon as you go out and... That's what I feel like. Okay, like I, I grew up with the youth group illustration of salvation's a free gift and it's right here. All you got to do is take it. God has given it to you and his hand is out. And all he wants you to do is just to reach out and grab it. That's all you got to do. Just a free gift won't cost you anything. Like, yeah, I've never seen that. That's hard, okay? And the reason why is that free salvation is only free to the person who receives it. The messenger pays the price. And it's always been like that. But we forgot it when all we started doing was ministering to ourselves. When 95% of trained ministers are working with Christians, that's the kind of theology you can come up with. Just walk the aisle. Just reach out and grab it. It's right there. It won't cost you nothing. Yeah, We've we got to stop telling people that. It's, it, it costs them their lives. Free salvation is only free to the person who receives it. So in my walk with Jesus, I got one free salvation. That was mine. Every other salvation past that, there was a price to be paid. And it's the greatest honor of my life to be that messenger, to be that minister, to pay the price that others may hear. 
We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. All right, so I will, yeah, let's see. It may just be one verse. All right, does everybody have it? My dad puts paper clips in his Bible, so he just flips right over there. I should get some paper clips. Great, okay, yeah, 124. All right, so um, let me get, so y'all got it, right? And let me get some people to read it. I'm going to read it too, but I'm going to get some people to read it because I want it to be read. Can I get somebody here in the front of the row? Can you read it? All right, and then um, you got it. Somebody else? Jordan? Somebody else over here? You got it? Okay, wait. One, two, three. Somebody over here? Four. Four. And then somebody over here. Five, okay? So I'm going to say go, and you're going to read it. One, two, three, four, five. Just one after another. Speak really loudly, okay? So we can all hear. But I want for us to hear this, and I want for us to think about this, because this is one of the craziest things that Paul has ever written, and it took a lot of work for me to figure out what in the world he was saying. So we're going to, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, and then we will be, uh, we'll be finished, Okay? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. What in the world does that mean? So what is lacking? What's lacking in the afflictions of Christ? What's still left over for Christ to suffer? And so I'm reading this and trying to figure it out because I know that the atoning work... Like, what made salvation possible, that's done, okay? That's finished. However, it appears that there's something that's still, like, lacking. There's something that's still going on here that Paul's saying that he's, a, he's part of. I'm doing these sufferings. I'm, I'm bringing these sufferings upon my body for the sake of the church and the sufferings that I'm taking on. It's, it's what's left over. It's, it's what's lacking still in the afflictions of Christ. He's trying to fill that up. 
And I'm praying through this and reading through this and it's saying, why would Paul say something like this? And it's because it's true. The body of Christ is not finished suffering. The physical body of Christ, that suffering is complete. But for the sake of the church, the body of Christ will continue to suffer. And that is lacking. Okay? And still today, 2016, this is lacking. We are in a suffering deficit in the church. Because we are unwilling to suffer for Christ. We are unwilling to risk it all. Because of something that maybe Jesus wants for us to do. You would not believe some of the things that I see written online. Some of the things that have even been written about my family. But I want you to know, okay, this is, this, this is a guy who lives in South Sudan talking, all right? The death of missionary families is an acceptable loss for the sake of the gospel, all right? Your, your pastor may not say that. The death of my children is acceptable for the sake of the gospel. Your death is acceptable if that's what God calls you to. And please, we have taken the edge off, off the New Testament, but just read it, all right? Just, just take your time, word by word, work through this, and you will become tough, and you will become strong. <laughs> you're not going to be worried about somebody, like, making fun of you, all right, because you're a Christian. It's gonna, that's going to be okay, all right, because you don't get a date, because, you know, you're trying to live, your, uh, you know, live out your Christianity. That's going to be fine, all right? You'll be okay. There's plenty of people suffering a whole lot worse than, than that, okay? Um, free salvation is only free for the person who receives it. For the messenger, the suffering that takes place. And that's what we're working through, and that's what we're trying to get through. So, in the context of what we're talking about this weekend, when you go to an unreached people group, you are able to say to them through your presence, through you coming to them and sacrificing your home and your home culture, sacrificing your language for their language, learning to live with them, learning to live among them, that you, as you are conformed into the image of Christ, that you are able to suffer what is lacking in in the afflictions of Christ. You're able to join Christ in the fellowship of His sufferings as you become more like Jesus. You take on more of the afflictions of Jesus And you were able to stand before that unreached people group and say, Behold the love of God. Behold the sufferings of Christ as I come to you. And I've got a story to tell you. And a long time ago, that there was nothing, that there was only God. And it was God who made everything. He made the heavens and he made the earth. He made everything that we see. He made things that we can't see. And that story will continue to talk about the history of the people of God, to talk about the kings and the prophets, and how the people of God moved towards God. They moved away from God, and they moved towards idols. They moved in towards demonic practices. They moved back towards God. They lost the scriptures. They found the scriptures. And we ended up in a whole lot of confusion. Until one day, an angel came to a girl named Mary. And he told her, that she would give birth to the Savior, which would bring salvation to the world. 
This is a story that is worth risking everything for. This is a story that is worth the afflictions of Christ. If Jesus Christ is God, and they don't know it, okay? And they don't know it. Somebody needs to go tell them. So for us, we're only given two options. The scriptures and the teachings of Christ, the example of Paul and what he teaches us, only gives us two, two options when we're talking about that, all right? When we're talking about those who are drowning. Is you either, you go to the ends of the earth and you plant yourself there where the gospel is not known and people don't understand who Jesus is. And you go to that place. Can I step off the stage? They're not. Okay. All right. I'm about to go. Okay. All right. So you go cross-culturally. You go into that place that is dangerous, that is not safe, where there are a few that may want to hear the story. But in obedience, you go and you move and you cross that line out of communities and countries that have the gospel. Okay. This is the difference, all right, when we're talking about inner city ministry and we're talking about unreached people groups. We're talking about people who have access to the gospel and people who do not have access to the gospel for generations, thousands of years, no access to the gospel. That's a different thing, okay? You got, that's different. So your, your one option is you go, okay? And you as the incarnational... Missionaries, the emissary of God, he who has been sent out, is that you go and you plant yourself there. And then day one, your work, your task is that you begin, you grab hold tight of the gospel and you begin to pull it where you are. You begin to pull it into your people group, into that land where now you have, you, you have risked it all to live there and you pull it. If you're not doing that, okay, and some of you are, if you're not doing that, then you're here. And you push it. You create so much pressure within your church, within your youth group, within the people that you are discipling, that the gospel will have to move, that it will spew out of this clay pot, and that that light would shine. It would go. It would move. And that you would be pushing and pressing it towards your brothers who are living in those foreign lands, trying to make God's name famous in a place where it is not known and never has been known. In some lands where it was known well. And now it is not spoken. And you, if you are here working in your culture In your Jerusalem, you create gospel pressure in your life that will move into the lives of others, that will move into your peer group, that will move into your church, and that will press the gospel into the nooks and the crannies and the crevices of this world, which are festering wounds. And that we will help this world heal from the pain and the torment that it lives in. I wish I could 
take you with me and walk some of these paths and see the utter destruction that we are doing to ourselves and to see how little the church is doing. How little the church is doing in places where they have no hope. And for some of us, the task, it just seems too large. And we may say to ourselves, what can we do about it? It's about 3,000 unreached people groups. It's been that way a long time. All right? It seems like all the easy places have been reached. Okay? If we can get trucks and radios and airplanes and we can get people out there, then it seems like that that's, you know, we, we, we did that and it's working. Okay? Um, but when we're talking about uh, 40% of the world that's unreached, okay, that's a, that's a big chunk. Okay? I'm not, not talking about a handful of villages. I'm talking about 3,000 people groups with really large populations. Uh, however, if we just take uh, Christian churches, there's about 9,000 churches for every one unreached people group. Okay? That's pretty good statistics. About 9,001. All right? I like those odds. That sounds good. Okay? But if like 9,000 of those people don't show up to a fight, who wins? The, the, the one's going to win by forfeit. And that's what's gone on generation after generation. And from my grandfather and to my parents and now to me, crying out to you, we have passed on this responsibility generation by generation because we love ministering to ourselves. That's really the most enjoyable. That's the most fulfilling. And it is funny for me to be here talking to you and everybody's paying attention. Okay? Because I'm used to like goats wandering through here, all right? Gunshots over here. You know, children urinating, you know, on the floor. So like everybody's paying attention here, and this is, th- this is great. And, and, and y'all like me, okay? I'm pretty well liked. In South Sudan, there's a lot of people, they don't like me, and they want me to go away. And that's hard ministry. That's difficult, all right? Day in, day after, uh, day in, day out, year after year after year, a whole group of people trying to get me out, trying to get our team out, trying to get Jesus Christ out, not wanting for the people to know that they have access to God and they don't have to pay the spearmasters for the rains to come or for their goats to multiply, for their child to become well. When we came there, we began to destroy a whole industry of animistic practices, a whole economy that was based on lies and oppression of their own people. And they don't like that. And that's tough. I love being here, okay? I really do. I love being here, and we're going to be here for a few months, and I'm going to try to be at Snowbird as much as we possibly can. But, I mean, if it, this right here ain't doing a lot, Okay? This flashlight, like, you can see it. She don't really notice it. Well, that's bright. Yeah. All right. But you don't even notice when it turns off.
Okay, so let's go back to, uh, uh, so I want you to move now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to go from there. I'm going to read this one more time while you're turning, because I, I don't want you to forget this verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of, the, of his body, and that is the church. <laughs> All right. So let's finish up. For we who live, we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our own mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have this same spirit of faith, according to that, according to what is written, and I believe, and I spoke, and we also believe, and so we spoke, and knowing that he who raised Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and to bring us into his presence. Okay? So the God who put the light in you, who gave you this ministry, he's going to raise you up. Okay? You're going to be raised up just like Jesus was raised up. So what more do you want? Like, where in there is there room for fear? Okay? I'll work through this stuff. All right, I'm a dad. At what point does God give us the opportunity to fear anything but him? Should our fear not be consumed in him? So if, if some of you out there are working through this and thinking, wow, this is, this is scary. This is, this is scary stuff. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know following Jesus was like this. Following Jesus in America was like this. Then now we have the responsibility to, to, to reach the unreached through our churches and through our communities. Just as Jesus Christ, just as Jesus Christ was raised, we will be raised also by that same God. So, I mean, we, we can't even die. You know? Chris Leggett, I remember when Christopher Leggett uh, was, was martyred by Al-Qaeda in Mauritania. Right? Goes out on the news. I start looking it up. He's from Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee. I'm preparing to go to Africa. You know, his ministry was finished there. But he's going to be raised up. So he's fine. That's, that's okay. But that's acceptable. You see? That, that, that's all right. And so I remember praying during that time and being right here at Snowbird and sitting down in the office and writing Jackie, his wife, a letter. And I said, Jackie, listen. Chris's work is finished, but we're still on the clock. We're still doing it. And I said, by God, we're coming. We're coming. And we are going to flood the unreached with the gospel. And we are going to do things in Africa, in the Sahel of Africa, in the desert of Africa that have never been done. Those are my ideas. Because only a few came. And praise God for the few that came. But I am not convinced that the church is to the level of obedience where she needs to be when the unreached are so easily reached. When the unreached, when we, you have the opportunity right now 
to get there. If you've got a bank account and a blue passport, you can go to 98% of the countries in the world. And you can get visas and you can live among these people groups. You can get there. And the hard work's going to start there. And you may be sitting here saying, what can I do? I'm a teenager. And so, any, okay, anybody in this room who came and worked with me in Africa, I want you to stand up, okay? All right. These people... They took a few months of their life and they were strategically involved in the reaching of an unreached people group and starting a process for another unreached people group to be reached. That's a cool way to spend your summer. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is way beyond what you're getting in most missionary trips, okay? And how old are you? 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 Tara was 19 when she showed up. Is anybody else here? Okay. Where? Oh, Bailey. 19, okay? Sit down. No, you can, I mean, if you were already standing, that's fine. Okay? Bailey's 19 years old. I go and pick her up with the team. I had no idea who was coming and what it was going to be like. I just called Spencer and I said, listen, Spencer, we have got a heavy training that's about to happen. We got people coming in from different countries and and we have got to get some help here. You got to send me some people. Spencer said, no problem. The people are coming your way. So after a few months, God put together this this little team. They were already bought tickets and they were coming and he called me on the phone and he said, all right. He said, listen, this team is going to be awesome. They're going to be great. He said, "Uh, but some of them are pretty young. I said, oh. You know, I'm thinking, no, we can handle like some, you know, 23, 24-year-olds, you know. It's fine. He said, uh, three of them are 19. I said, whoa. We had four people who came and worked with us as we were reaching the unreached and unreached people groups, and they were all 19 years old. And Katie may have been 18 when she was there. Do not sell yourself short and do not feel like this is something that you have to wait on. The church here that I'm from, Red Oak, we're, we're moving. We're reaching the unreached in different parts of the world. And that's what it looks like, okay, when your church creates so much gospel pressure inside of it that it spews forward. And that church will begin to send and to cast people out, to anchor themselves in foreign lands, and then to begin the work of pulling the gospel. And I will pull, and you will push. And both you and I will have the same calluses upon our hands for how hard we press. So that's what we have been given, and that's what we've got. You've been given a task, you've been given a God, and now you've been given the opportunity to respond to that. And I want you to understand, I want you to walk away from here to understand Christian All right, Christ follower, I want you to understand the power that exists within you to do anything. Listen to me, they can't even kill you. They can try, but your soul is bulletproof. That's it. 
There is, there, there is no weapon, no weapon formed. No weapon made of chemicals, no weapon made of steel, no weapon made of, made of explosives that can harm you at your core. Because that's Christ. And that is where nothing can destroy. So be brave, my friends. And press on and charge in. Because God has given us immortality and superhuman powers. But we're looking for something else. Isn't that weird? So often we're praying for things God does not want for us to have. We're trying to do things that God doesn't want for us to do. And it's confusing. And you're seeing Christians using the talents that they have been given, using what it is that God has given to them, the light that has been created within their lives, for things that are, that are not gospel-centered. And we're saying, God, we just, we just need this other little thing. Uh, really. Like, okay, I know, like, you've been giving me a lot of stuff, okay? Like, I've got a lot of things, but I just need a little bit more things that I'm, I'm just still trying to work on. And, and God's sitting there thinking, gosh, like, you know, immortality and, like, superhuman powers, that's not enough? Like, you know, I mean, you've been given, you know, you, you're, you're part, of a, part of, a, of, a, of a tradition of miracle workers. And, and you just really got to have this car. Uh, wow. And it's like Brody says, you, you, won the, you won the lottery and all you want is a whole bunch of lollipops. So you've been given light, and there's more that you can be doing with it. I'm, st- I'm going to stop here, and then uh, the band's going to come up, and then I'm going to talk to you just a little bit more. <laughs>